Man, I have enjoyed this series. There's some series that you teach that you don't necessarily enjoy as a preacher. You know you got to teach them, and you know the principles need to be taught, but there's a heaviness to them. But I have enjoyed this series. I have, I've enjoyed what God is doing here. I mean, there are some cool things happening at Action Church. There's new faces every week. Just a good spirit in the place. And, it, and it's funny because about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, I can't remember now, six, seven, eight weeks ago, I shared some struggles that I was going through. And it's funny, in a lot of churches, that kind of realness would have probably destroyed the church. And it's funny, I feel like it strengthens this place. This place does real better than any group of people that I've ever been around. It's raw. And it's funny, and I'm not bashing other churches, listen, listen, but it's funny. I talk to other pastors, and they talk about, we're just authentic. If you use the word authentic, you're not authentic, because nobody uses that word. But it's funny. They think they're real. They think they're a safe place. And, man, this place is messy. It's crazy. It's a little bit dirty. And yet I just feel like God blesses what's going on here. Man, I want to thank you. It's the honor of my life to be your pastor. I I was thinking about this verse, and this really has nothing to do with the sermon. I love that verse that says, you intended to harm me. I actually used this verse a couple of weeks ago. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Make no mistake about it. For all the loud music and all the smoke and all the uh, stuff that we do that's maybe outside of the box, at the end of the day, we're in the people business, and we believe that there's a God that loves the world so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for their sins. And so everything we do is to point people to Jesus. And the problem, I think, with the church sometimes in general is they focus on everything and anything, and they're more worried about being cool than they are about Jesus. They're more worried about fancy than they are Jesus. And man, I just love the realness of this place. And man, I just want to share that with you today. I love this place. Man, I've loved this series. Tis the season. And we've been talking about some heavy subjects and we talked about the first week. Tis the season to forgive. And that's a hard one. Man, when somebody does me wrong, everything in my nature is to go against them. Last week we talked about, tis a season to reflect. And I took you to the prodigal son and I talked about how there has to come at a time in our life if we ever want to move forward, you very briefly have to go backwards. You have to go back and reflect on your life. You have to reflect on where you are and what got you there and what needs to improve in those areas. Now as we approach the new year, I want to wrap up this series today and talk to you on this subject. Tis a season to look ahead. Tis a season to look ahead. Every day is a good day to move forward. Every day is a good day for a new beginning. Every day is a good day to say, man, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But the reality is we're wired in such a way that we kind of set specific. How many times have you said, man, I'm going to start a diet on Monday? Man, at the first of the month, I'm going to quit smoking. We got to have those extra couple of days. I've, I've, you've heard me preach. It's actually one of the sermons that I preached all over the country. I talk about when Moses and God brought all the plagues on Egypt, and he brought the plague of the frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh says, man, I can't deal with these frogs anymore. They're everywhere. And Moses says, man, that's awesome. When do you want me to remove the frogs? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. He wanted one more night with the frogs. Doesn't make any sense. But we do that. But here we are, and now we're in the middle of December, and the reality is so many of us are looking forward to that magical, mystical date of January 1st. And 2024 is going to be my year. I've seen all the memes. 2023 was a year of learning. 2024 is going to be a year of conquering. You posted the same thing last year, just had the dates changed. And I'm a theme guy. In the past, I used to have words that I went by my word for the year, and I went into phrases. And I was praying the other day about my phrase for 2024, and I think it's probably going to be kicking indoors in 24. I don't know. I got some stuff I want to do. 
and um, I want to be very proactive in those things. And so I'm all for that. But here's the reality of the situation. If you don't put the proper steps into place, if you don't take that time to reflect like I talked about last week, and if you don't take time to look ahead, January 1st is going to simply be another day. You can have every goal you want to have, but if you don't have the steps in place to achieve that goal, it will mean nothing. You've got to take some time to look ahead. I will actually tomorrow go away for the day. I'm going up to LJ. I do that quarterly. I like to plan out my series for the next few months, but I will also tomorrow be reflecting a little bit on the past and also looking forward to some very intentional goals that I wanted 24, Christy. And I've been talking about some of those, but we've been talking about them in a broad sense. And so I want to go away and some professional goals that I want to have, and I want to focus on that time. I'll go sit by the river. I'll go hiking tomorrow. I'll have my notepad with me because I think it's that important. Because here's the deal. If I don't take the time to put a plan in place, what's going to happen is January 1st is going to come and it'll be nothing but a goal. Because here's the deal. Some of the things that I want to achieve in 24... I've wanted to achieve the last two years. Christine and I have talked about those things the last two years. I want to focus on this. I want to focus on this. And the year comes and the year goes, and I move forward a little bit in those areas. But I look ahead, and it sounds really good what I want to do, but I'm never willing to put the steps in place to make it happen. It's time now, while you've got about two weeks left, to start talking about and thinking about your goals, your marital goals for 24, your financial goals for 24, your relational goals for 24, your professional goals for 24. Listen, if you don't have a target, you hit it every time. The problem is you're hitting nothing. I need you to understand something today, and this is important to me. You were created... For greatness. I want to repeat that because I don't know that you, some of you have ever been told that before. You were created for greatness. The creator of the universe, think about that, the greatest artist ever, the living God, the one who spoke everything into existence. The Bible says in Psalms that he fearfully and wonderfully made you. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make screw-ups. You might have took mommy and daddy by surprise, but you did not take God by surprise. You were created for greatness. Now, the problem is when you hear greatness, that doesn't mean you were created to be famous. That might not mean you were created to be a millionaire. It might not mean you were created to be an influencer. I don't know what it means, but here's what I know. You were created for greatness. You were created for a purpose, and God put you on this planet for a purpose. He told the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. Not only did he tell Jeremiah he knew her in the womb, he said, not only did I know you in the womb, he said, I set you apart for a purpose. The problem is we're created for this life of greatness. We're created for this life of purpose. We're created for this life of fulfillment. We're created for this life of making a difference. And so what's the one thing the enemy is going to come after? He's going to come after your purpose. I hear preachers all the time, and and let me make this very clear. I, I believe this. But they always say the number one thing the enemy wants to destroy is your marriage. No, I think the number one thing the enemy wants to destroy is your purpose. Because if he destroys your purpose, he'll destroy your marriage. If he destroys your purpose, he'll destroy your finances. If he destroys your purpose, he'll destroy your relationships. If he destroys your purpose, I posted something like that. It it says, when a person with no purpose will focus on pleasure. My wife and I are very high class. We like the finer things in life. We work hard. We've been blessed. And so we got this very expensive $399 inflatable hot tub. 
say, I've never heard of an inflatable hot tub. Well, you've missed out. <laughs> because it is classy. Got a little electric pump and it pumps it up. It's got this little thing that keeps it hot. It's classy. It's so classy that you make sure it is on your back porch hid from everyone because you don't want anyone to see it. But I got to tell you, it's probably been the greatest $399 we have ever spent. Like, I, we are in that joker three and four times a week. This is way TMI, but we're like, the kids start, I say, hey, don't come up here, we neck it up here. Okay, <laughs> it's gross. Well, it might be gross and go back to your room. Here's the thing about a $399 hot tub. It's awesome. It gets up to 105 degrees. It's got the bubbles. But it's a little loud. So you really can't hear the music if you play the speaker. You can hear it a little bit. It's not really something you just want to kick your head back and close your eyes and kind of fall asleep to. Because it's, it's a little loud. So it forces you to talk. Horrible thing, I know. So it's been amazing some of the deep discussions that we have had in the hot tub. Naked. See, I can't believe you're saying that. I'm married. I'll say whatever I want to say when it comes to that. But we were talking about purpose yesterday morning in the hot tub. We were talking about some friends of ours, and I said, man, she said, how's so-and-so do? I said, man, he seems to be doing good. He's in his purpose right now. But when my buddy loses sight of his purpose, he goes off the rails. Especially, I think, for men, purpose is important. Men are conquerors. We're warriors. We're hunters. We want to wake up and know that we have some type of purpose Yesterday was the first day I didn't have an event in probably three months. And Christine said, you good? I didn't know what she said. I said, I'm good. She said, are you good? I said, yeah, I'm good. Why do you keep asking? She goes, you seem a little on edge. I said, I'm not on edge. She goes, you don't know how to relax. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you don't know how to deal with not having an event for one weekend. Now, don't get me wrong. After I got naked in the hot tub, I knew how to relax and not have an event for the weekend. But up to that point, I was, man, I was kind of on edge. because Why? Because I feel like I know my purpose is creating community. And, and, so, and so if the devil can come along and take your purpose, then he can defeat you. And make no mistake about it, just like we believe there's a God, we believe there's a devil. To have a God, you've got to have a devil. To have good, you've got to have evil. And the devil has a purpose, and the Bible says, this is what his purpose is right here in John 10, 10. It says, the thief does not come except, it says, this is the only reason that he comes. To steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to rob you of your passion. And the way he robs you of your passion is to take your purpose from you. What he wants you to do is say, man, these are my goals in 2024, but not put any steps behind them. It's easy to talk about what you're going to do. It's a totally different story to actually do it. Talk is cheap. That's the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. When someone calls me a dreamer, I get insulted because a dreamer just dreams. A visionary implements those dreams. It's easy to dream, it's easy to talk about your ideas, but very few people have the testicular fortitude, if you will, to step out and chase those dreams. And the reason they won't chase those dreams is because they don't know how to chase those dreams because they've never put the steps in place to chase those dreams. So tis the season to look ahead. We've got to be intentional about some things. God wants to do great things in your life, but the problem is so many of us get comfortable, and I've said this over and over, but I actually want to change it. It's not as catchy. I said we get comfortable in our discomfort. This one isn't as catchy, but it's probably more accurate. We get comfortable in the average. We can't live the great life that God has for us 
Because we've settled for the good life that we've created. And good is the enemy of great. So many people achieve good and they're satisfied. And God says, but you could have had great. How's your marriage? It's good. And God says, I came that you could have life. Look what he says back in that verse. Go back to that verse. The thief comes not to kill, still kill and destroy. He says, but I have come that they may have life. They may have it more abundantly. God didn't come where you could have a good marriage. He came where you could have a great marriage. God didn't come where you could have good finances. He came where you could have great finances. God didn't come where you could have good friendships. He came where you could have great friendships. God didn't come where you could have a a, a good career. He came where you could have a great career that fulfills you and gives you purpose and gets you out of bed in the morning. But we've allowed the enemy to come along and steal. And we think the enemy steals sometimes by blowing things up. No, 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 no. That's the easy way to do things. The enemy comes along and takes little things. Like, hey, it's cool. Have some goals for 2024. But I'm going to keep you so distracted that you never put steps in place to implement those dreams. So you think you're doing a good thing. I'm dreaming and I want to improve and I want to get better and I want this part of my life to be more fulfilled. But the enemy knows, listen, dreaming does nothing without action. So I want to give you some steps today. I want to take you back to one of my favorite guys in the Bible. And if you've been here long, I know you're going to roll your eyes because I've preached on him a thousand times. But I just love him. And I think it's amazing. And I think it's importance of looking ahead. I want to introduce you to a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a dude living a life, living a good life. He had a government job. Easy. Get up every morning, go to the water authority like Adam does. Eat a biscuit. Drive around town. Get paid on the 1st and 15th. Have insurance. I talked to him one day. I said, how much long you got to retire? He told me. I'm like, it was nothing. I get to retire one day. And then right before you retire, they come along and probably give you a promotion that keeps you there with more money. Like, that's the dream, a government job. I should have got a government job. <laughs> Can you imagine? Ooh, what kind of government would that be? Hire me. But he had a good job. He was the cupbearer to the king. You say, what's the cupbearer? It means before the king took a sip of anything, he took a sip of it. It was a good job until someone tried to kill the king through the, what he was drinking. He got to travel with the king. He got to be in the king's presence. Everywhere the king went, he went. King's eating good, he's eating good. He's getting into very important meetings. The king went nowhere without the cupbearer. It's a good gig until it's not a good gig. That's what I always tell about our security guys around here. I say, man, you guys got the easiest job around here until it's not the easiest job around here. So Nehemiah is this dude, and he's living a good life, especially in this day and time. He knows his bills are getting paid. He knows he's taking care. He's probably even living inside the castle, or he's living at a minimum inside the castle walls with his own place. And then something happens to him. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, blah, 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 blah. He was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers. So he's out walking around, chilling. Hananiah, one of his brothers, came down from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So you need to understand. The kingdom had overtaken Jerusalem, made them slaves. Some of the people over the years had wandered back to Jerusalem. They had been given permission to go back to Jerusalem and restart the city, for lack of a better word. But as you can imagine, you return to a city, a city that has been war-stricken, war-torn. The city's ruins of what it used to be. So you have to go back and you have to begin a rebuilding process. I asked them how it was going and how it was going back in the homeland. It's basically like you ran into someone you used to went to school and you're like, hey man, how are things back home? I don't even think Nehemiah really cared. 
I think he was making small talk. I run into people. Every once in a while, I have somebody show up at one of my festivals that I used to go to school with. I'm like, man, how are things back in Nicula? I, I, I don't really care how things are in Nicula. I haven't been to that city in 30-something years. It's just called small talk. I think in my heart that Nehemiah was making small talk. I questioned them about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. It's very important. I'm going to explain that to you here in a minute. And its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah is making small talk. He says, hey, what's going on back home? And they said, man, things back home are bad. They can't get any traction. They can't get any footing. They can't begin to rebuild. And the biggest reason they can't rebuild is the wall around the city is burned down. It was burned down from when they lost the battle. Now, you need to understand in this day and time, if you've ever seen Game of Thrones or Vikings or any show like that, cities in this day and time, they would build a wall of protection around the city. These, it would be like Canton was in the middle of nowhere, and they would build a wall around it. And that way it could determine who came in the city, who went outside the city. It allowed them to deal with importing and exporting. It was their safety. At the night, they would close the gates of the wall, and they could be safe knowing somebody just couldn't bust through the walls. That was not the, the situation now in Jerusalem. The walls are torn down. So as they're trying to rebuild, they have no safety. They have no security. Renegades and rebels and outlaws were able to come in and raid the city. There was no way for them to protect themselves. So they would take one step forward and they would take two steps back. You can imagine how frustrating this would be. And you could also imagine that at the end of the day, don't miss this point, this was common sense. Of course the city would be laid in ruin. Of course the city would be destroyed. Nehemiah knew this when he asked. But something happens to him when he hears this. <laughs> something grips Nehemiah when he begins to hear this, and he can no longer move on past it. I'm sure he's not the first person to hear about the walls of Jerusalem being torn down, but something gripped him, a purpose gripped him. A passion gripped him. A calling gripped him. And he could not let it go. And we'll get to this later on. But it says for many days he thought about this. And he comes to the conclusion eventually, and we'll get there in the end of this story, that he has to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He begins to look forward and look ahead to now what his calling is. He's willing to step out of his comfort for his calling. God has a calling on your life. The problem is you're going to have to step outside your comfort to achieve it. Someone I hear preachers all the time that, that, that are like, listen, the safest place in the world is the will of God. No, 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 no. The most dangerous place in the world is the will of God. The greatest place in the world is the will of God, but there's nothing safe about following God. That's North American Christianity. Go tell, go tell the Christians in China who are fearful for their lives it's safe. Tell Daniel when he's in the lion's den. Tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're in the fiery furnace. Now, God got them through that. But listen, there's nothing safe about the will of God. What's safe is, is to let the enemy come along and steal, kill, destroy, and take your purpose. Because then you get to live in comfort. But the calling of God was never to be comfortable. It's to be purpose-filled. It's to live a life of destiny, a life of greatness. And so many of us have got comfortable. We got a job. We got a family. We got cars that run. We got a house to go to. There's nothing wrong with those things. Let me make that very clear. But the problem is that's not the goal. The goal of Christianity is not to arrive at the end safely. The goal is to arrive at the end knowing you shook the gates of hell your entire life. That you did what you were created to do for. Nehemiah could have stayed there as the king's cupbearer until the day that he drank some wine and it killed him. That's a good job. The king doesn't replace the cupbearer 
until he has to replace the cupbearer. He could have lived in comfort. He wasn't the first person to hear about the walls being torn down. But he was the first person that God gripped on his heart. And you need to understand something about that. That's what happens with calling sometimes. Some of you get upset that other people don't have your calling. It's not not their calling. You can go build wells in Africa all day long. I think that's awesome. It ain't my calling. I'm going to pat you on the back and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to tell you I love you, but I ain't going to Africa and I ain't building a well. You can tell me all day long, I ought to get excited and I ought to be up here when we do food pantry nights. I ain't doing it. Not my calling. I love the food pantry of this church and I love the women and the men who feel called to it. It ain't my calling. Doesn't mean I don't support you. I support you enough that you have a building here that you can use to do that. You need me to push it, I'll push it. Here's the deal. I don't come down here on Monday when the clinic's here. I love that clinic. I think that clinic, Bethesda Clinic, is probably the most un, underappreciated nonprofit in this community. I love it. When I show up down here, every time I call Chris, I say, God, I always forget how many people they serve. But I'm not down here on Monday serving in the clinic. It ain't my passion. My passion is right here. to take the word of God and make it simple for those who don't do church to understand it. That's my passion. So, so Nehemiah can't get mad that God didn't grip other people's hearts to be excited about it. But God gripped his heart about it. And when the calling of God comes on your life, you've got two choices. You can stay comfortable. And if you stay comfortable long enough, you'll forget about your calling. <laughs> It'll go away. The calling will not go away. But the voices will go away. The burden will get tucked down in there. So you can get comfortable and ignore it, or you can get crazy and follow it. But if you decide to get crazy and follow it, you've got to do some things to make it happen or it's just going to be a dream. See, we need to move from dreaming about the life we want to being visionaries about the life that we want. Nehemiah decides he has to do something about this. Nehemiah decides that he can no longer ignore the fact that people back in his homeland have the city broken down, the walls broken down, and are living in disgrace. He decides, if I've, I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. And I've got to do something about it, even if it means I've got to give up this cush job and my comfort to get crazy. But he lays out some steps for us. The first one, I know you're going to roll your eyes because I feel like it's become a point in one of my sermons every week for the last ever how many weeks. But I, I, I just feel like God is speaking to me on the importance of this and the underappreciated aspect of this. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to pray. Oh, of course we've got to pray, Gary. No, 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 no. You've got to pray. Do you understand that we have a direct line to the creator of the universe? The God who spoke everything into existence wants to communicate with you and allows us to approach him through prayer. The Bible says this, when Nehemiah heard these things, he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. God ever brought you to tears over something? God ever placed a burden on you that was so strong it literally broke you? Yet so many times we'll weep and go back to what's comfortable. I heard these things and I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. See, we treat prayer like a last resort. All we can do now is pray. Now what you should have been doing all along was praying. I love how Nehemiah starts with prayer. He doesn't doesn't begin to to prepare for what he's going to do. He doesn't begin to operate in his own power. He needs to understand that he knows he can't do it alone from God, and he wants to know that the feeling that he has is not just indigestion and it's going to pass by. I think that's why it's so key for some days, because here's what happened. I used to be in church, and they'd bring in these different organizations, and these different groups would talk about their passion for different things, and I would feel moved in that moment. But as the days went by, I wasn't moved in that moment anymore. It wasn't my calling. 
But then there were certain things that would come through and they would move me days later and months later and I knew I had to be part of what was happening there. Nehemiah, I, he shows his wisdom here in the fact that for days, he, the Bible doesn't say how long. And if you looked that up there, it doesn't say a number of days. It could have been months, actually. Actually, if you see from the time that he hears about it to the time that he goes, it was months, about eight months. So we, we can assume he prayed for a long time, seeking God for a long time. He wanted to know, God, is this what you're calling me to do? I want to encourage you today when you feel like God wants you to do something, you don't just step out in emotion. You step out in calling. And calling comes from you getting affirmation from some things, going to God in prayer. Asking for God to give you some signs, and God will give you signs. It might be affirmation or from people that you respect. It might be something as clear as the, the, the voice of God speaking to you in your head when you're driving. Here's all I can tell you is that you will know when you know. God has spoke to me in many different ways. He has spoke to me through other people. He has spoke to me through songs. He has spoke to me through the silence of just being alone with him. He spoke to me through me feeling like I'm supposed to do something and not doing it. And it continually coming back. And that's one of the things I'm going to focus on in 24. One of the things I want to build in my life career-wise. It's one of the things that God has laid on my heart for years. And I get after it and then I let it go away. And I let it go away because I've got to put the work in. I've already got some things that I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable. See, you look at my life and think it's crazy. Gary takes so many risks. Those are the things I do are comfortable to me. That's all I know. So what you seem crazy is comfortable to me. I can do it in my sleep. To step out in this other thing is me putting myself out there. It, in some ways, it's me starting over again and having to build up to get to the point that I feel like God wants me to be. So I've got to make sure before I do this, is this what God's called me to do? But God continues to bring it back up and up and over where I have the confirmation that's what he wants me to do. But you know how I got there? Through praying about it, reading about it, discussing it with my wife, discussing it with mentors in my life, discussing it with friends in my life, looking back and watching God begin to open up door after door after door that leads me down that area. But it all started with prayer. Every great movement of God started with a bended knee. He says, call unto me and I will show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Listen, you want to see God do great things and begin to call out to him. You think your dream's big? God laughs at the size of your dream because he has it so much bigger. The biggest thing, listen, your dream ought to be so big that you can't do it outside of God. Matter of fact, if you don't need God to do it, it's probably not your God dream. There's a lot of stuff I can do on my own. No offense, I don't need God. Now, I don't need God cursing that either. Don't take that wrong. But I can do it on my own, and there are some things I'm like, man, I need God in the middle of this. We have devalued prayer. We have taken prayer for granted. I think it's so easily accessible to us that we forget the power of it. I think it, we put that verse back up, Xander, please. The Bible says that he fasted and he prayed. I sat down for some days that morning and I fasted. Someone said, what is fasting? Here's what, here's what fasting is. Fasting is depriving yourself of food. I'm fasting from TV. You ain't fasting. Fasting is depriving yourself of food. Our human basic need. And when those hunger pains hit, you begin as your reminder to go to God in prayer. Someone asked me one time, they said, how long should I fast for? I said, what are you fasting for? I said, I'm fasting for my son who's out of control. I said, I'd be fasting as long as it took to get an answer. There's power in fasting. It's something we don't talk about in the church. Before I moved to Canton, I fasted for 39 days. 39 days. I wanted to go 40 because Jesus went 40, but I thought I'd get arrogant if I went 40. 39 days. I told no one I was fasting. I lost 40-something pounds. It was funny. Everybody thought I had cancer. They were all worried about me. They, they, it, it was, and it was insane, the clarity that I got. But here's the deal. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. 
I knew I was called to do that fast. Don't fast unless you feel called to do it. After I did 39 days, I tried to fast different times for almost six years and couldn't do it because God hadn't laid the, the burden on my heart to do it. Every time I would do it, I couldn't make it a day. There's power in fasting. I might need to teach a message. Doug, you probably, I'd probably get Doug to teach a message on fasting. Doug's way smarter about those kind of things than me. There's power in it. Don't, we don't get deep here sometimes on those things, but I'm telling you, man, the, 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 the key to taking your prayers whole another level is fasting. And you ain't got to go 39 days. Hear me out. But there's power. Because you don't realize how often you think about food. So when them hunger pains hit, man, all of a sudden you're on your face before God and you're praying. There's power in it. He said, I fasted for some days. And oh, by the way, you ain't going to die if you don't go a day without food, baby. Trust me. You've got to pray. You've got to seek God. Call out to him. So when you're talking about here's my goal for 24, you need to make sure that God's called you to that goal. Make sure it's not your selfish goal. I think in the past few years, I've had some goals that weren't bad goals. But I don't know they were God goals. They were things I wanted to achieve. They were things that I deemed and classified as success. And when I achieved those things, the world classified them as success. And I don't think they were bad things. I don't think they made God mad that I did those things, but I don't think they were my God goals. You know how I know that? It's because they didn't bring me fulfillment. They didn't bring me purpose. I wasn't operating in my gifting. And I knew that. And so you've got to begin to seek out God, and there's no greater way to seek out God than praying. There's power in prayer. I'm teaching, I don't know how to pray. It's easy. Just start talking. No offense, I've heard all of you run your mouth. You know how you gossip to your friends? Start gossiping to God. I don't know that I ever stop praying. I never use the word hardly ever, amen, because I just want God to know all day long. We talking. Now listen, sometimes my prayers turn into fighting with God. I have thrown down with God, and here's the problem with throwing down with God, you don't win. It never goes the way you want it to go. Kind of like being married. <laughs> you ain't going to win no argument with your wife, amen, guys? Four of you had... Four of you had the guts to say, man, you know I'm telling the truth. Like, my wife should have been a lawyer. I can say that right now because we're not fighting. When I tell her that when we're fighting, it doesn't go over good. You got to pray. But here's something I need you to understand. Praying is not enough. Praying is the supernatural aspect of this. But you can pray all day long. At the end of the day, you got to take some action too. You ever heard the expression, pray like everything depends on God, but act like everything, put the work in like everything depends on you? Second thing we're going to do is we're going to plan. We're going to plan. Can I tell you something? This goes against everything that I am naturally. I plan nothing. And it shows. I justify it sometimes. I operate in chaos. My favorite line to my vendors at my festival because I just start placing them. It's, Man, if I was a doctor, I'd be a trauma surgeon. It's going to be ugly, but you're going to live. I operate, I, I do, I have a weird ability in chaos to function. But when I put the work in and I plan ahead, which I did a lot more this year, it's amazing how much smoother everything runs. Holiday marketing and ball ground, we went up there and we spent a whole day planning how we were going to do stuff. So guess what happened? It starts raining, and then guess what happens? For the first time ever, Kristen, who always helps me because it was raining and cold and she has back problems, she had to stop in the middle. She was in such pain. So guess what I was able to do? I was able to call Christine, who was down at another part, and say, I need you to come up here and go where Kristen was. You know why we were able to do that and not miss a beat? Because we had a plan. That wouldn't have worked if we were operating in Gary's chaotic mode. I would have known what was going on in chaos, but no one else would have known. Guess what happened that day? Because we had a plan. My wife and I worked together for the first time in 10 years and didn't have a crossword with each other. I didn't snap at her. She didn't snap at me. Because really what happens is I have no plan, and I get mad at her. 
that she can't read my mind and know the crazy chaotic plan I had in my head. The plan worked. Me and Bubba were recently talking and we were frustrated. And we said, both of us had said, we set some goals for 2023 that did not happen. And Bubba said, I don't know why they didn't happen. And instantly, without even thinking, I said, I know why they didn't happen. Because we just talked about it. There was no plan in place. It sounds great to say all day long, here's what I want to achieve. Let me throw a bunch of spaghetti noodles against the wall and see what sticks. It's not how stuff works. I said we have the same goals this year. The difference is we're going to take that goal and we're going to work backwards and come up with the steps that it takes to achieve that goal. See, when you have some financial goals and you have no plan, then guess what happens? You spend your money like crazy because there was no plan. New shoes, boom, want them. We justified. I've earned it. I've been doing good. You don't think $100 here and $100 there and $100. Next thing you know, it's three, dollars $4,000 because them hundreds add up. And when you got goals, three or $4,000 is a lot. I want to sell this much stuff, but here's the problem. You didn't do anything to go sell anything. You just thought they were going to come to you. It's not how it works. You've got to have a plan. Look at Nehemiah. So the king, um, this is chapter 2. The month of Nisan, the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, the wine was brought to him. Months later. I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. This shows you what a comfortable job Nehemiah had. People miss this. This shows you how close him and the king were. The king notices emotional state. That's how close he was to Nehemiah. My wife and I comment, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Don't lie to me. I can tell something's wrong. You can only do that when you care about somebody. The king cared about Nehemiah. The king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness at heart. Nehemiah, he was afraid. Because at the end of the day, though they're close, it's still the king. What's he about to tell the king? I want to leave your service and go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to the city you conquered and help rebuild it. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. He's smart. Always butter him up. I call it the big ask. Even if they know you're buttering them up, before you put the big ask on, you, you, you butter them up. Man, you're the greatest boss ever. Now, I'd ask you for a 75% raise, but have I told you how great you are? Just the way you walk into a room lets me know, man, you, you demand respect. I'm telling you, man, learn from him. May the king live forever. But then he gets to the truth of the matter. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? There's an important moment. The king said, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? The problem with some of you is you get asked directly what it is you want and you chicken out telling people what you want because you're afraid of what their thoughts would be towards you. The reason so many of you can't implement the vision in your life is is you're worried that other people will laugh at your vision. I saw a thing today, I'm actually going to post it on Facebook, and it said, so many people stay poor because they're worried what poor people will think about them trying to better themselves. How stupid is that? I love when people say, You're, he's, a, he's a sellout. He'll just take anything. That's the goal, ain't it? I'm in business. I don't look at it as selling out. I'm not, I'm not giving up my convictions. What is it you want? Now, look what Nehemiah does. He goes back to point number one. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. That's a quick prayer. Here we go, God. Speak through me. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in his sight, now he's putting it back on the king. Now, hey, if I've done what I'm supposed to do, let me let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, this is key here, because make no mistake about it, it don't matter who the king is, the queen runs the show. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him said, how long will, our journey ta- how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? He's asking some questions. It doesn't say that Nehemiah answered him, but he must have answered him because it said, it pleased the king to send me. So I said, what does say answer him? So I set a time. You know how he's able to set a time? He had a plan. He had a plan. The problem with so many of you is you want to go to people and cast the vision for what you want in your life, and they begin to question you and start to ask you questions. They're not fighting against you. They're not mad against you. They're just wanting to know, have you thought through something? This was a huge issue in our marriage for a long time, wasn't it? I'd come to her and be like, here's what I want to do. I want to take every dollar in the savings account, and I want to go spend it on this idea. She wasn't telling me she was against it. She just had some questions. Cool. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to support you, but I need to know what's the plan. I'm not crapping on the idea, Gary. But hey, you're about to take everything and put it on the line. And she said, I'll go to the ends of the earth to put it on the line for you. But I got to know, is this just a stupid, crazy idea? Or do you got a plan to make it happen? But your ego will not allow you to respond to those questions. You want everybody to jump on the board. You got a dream. Dreams are dime a dozen, baby. What's the plan? What's the plan? What is your calculations on how this is going to happen? Tell me. Now, listen, a plan doesn't mean it was going to be successful, but she wants to know there's a plan. The king said, what's the plan? He gave him. He said, how long are you going to be gone? He set a time. He set a time because he knew what he was going to do. He had a plan in place. I also said to him, Nehemiah's a pimp. There's just no way around it. He's a pimp. He's thought of everything. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct when I arrive in Judah. So here's the deal. He couldn't get on a plane and fly to where he had to go. So it would be like me having to get to Texas, but i got to go through some states. But all these states are their own independent countries. When I show up, I need a letter from a king saying I'm allowed to be here. That way when they stop me and want to know what it is I'm doing, I can be like, boom, here's the king's letter. And they're going to be like, cool, roll on, baby. He's thinking ahead. You know why? Because he's got a plan. And may I, check it out, and may I, by the way, while I'm on a roll now, I need to leave I need a letter. Oh, I done thought of something else. May I have a letter to the keeper of the royal park, the royal forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall of the residence I will occupy. He says, hey, when I get there, I got to have natural resources to rebuild the wall. Guess what? I need a letter to the keeper of the forest. If I just show up and say, hey, it's me, me, I might have cup bear. No, I ain't got a letter from the king, but I'm going to chop all these trees down and I'm going to rebuild a city that he took over. He knew that wouldn't go over good. So he goes to the king and he has a plan. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, why was the gracious hand of my God on him? Because he knew what God's purpose was. Why? Because he went back to number one and he prayed. <laughs> the king Granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trinity Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So not only that, the king sends a group of people with him. So you need to understand something. When you pray up and you begin to plan, God will set things in motion. It's crazy the things God set in motion just in the last week, isn't it? I want to do X in 24. I'm going to put a plan together for X in 24. Out of nowhere, 
a guy who does X, who does what I want to do at a very high level, calls me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. Because I was at this conference last week speaking. I mean, speaking with some people that I look up to, people that I follow. I saw him on the main stage with them. I said, man, I saw you this last week. He said, you know what I thought about the whole time? I said, no. He goes, I thought about, listen to what I'm about to tell you. He said, I thought about 18 years ago when I met you. I said, where'd you meet me at? He said, I met you at the Exponential Conference. Remember that session you did at the Exponential Conference? I said, no. He said, I do. It changed my life. And I thought to myself, why aren't you on the stage speaking with these people? And he said, I'm doing a conference in Arizona in January and February, two conferences. I want you to come out and speak. Ain't that funny? I began to put a plan together, and God opened up doors. Then I had another guy reach out to me out of nowhere. I say, man, I got into this field, and there's a movement in this field towards God. Things, and, he, and he's like, you have the ability to make God connect with people who don't do God. But he goes, why aren't you on stage speaking? So when no one's asked me, he goes, well, I'm asking you. Then I got a buddy of mine who's also going down the same path, and he's a little bit ahead, and he's just this weird guy that knows how to connect with lots of people. And so he gets in the rooms with people. And he's like, man, I need to get you introduced to so-and-so out of nowhere. Then yesterday or the day before, a guy that I haven't talked to in 12 years who does something very important in this field says, sends me a message on Facebook. He said, man, I wanted to text you, but I don't have your number anymore. He goes, you've been on my heart. We need to connect. I already had it on my to-do list the week after Christmas to contact him. You know why those things happen? Because I have prayed about those things. When you get in the center of God's will, it will be difficult, it will be scary, but also God will begin to open up doors in those areas. But here's the deal. The doors are opening up and I better have a plan. Now here's the amazing thing. I've got a buddy of mine who's ahead of me on the schedule. He's paid lots and lots, thousands upon thousands of dollars to learn how the game works. He said, I'm going to come up and I'm going to walk you through it. He goes, you're made for this world. Now, I'm not saying it to brag on myself, but I'm telling you, there's power in a plan. He begins to ask me questions. What do you want to do? And I said, something vague. He said, it's too vague. It's too broad. You've got to narrow it down. I said, okay, what about this? He goes, you've got to narrow it down. Narrow it down and narrow it down. And, narrow it. and it's amazing the doors that get open from those things. So here's the deal. What I'm telling you is it's not enough in 2024 to just talk about what you want to do. You've got to pray about it and know that you know that you know. If you're going to step out of your comfort zone, you damn well better know God called you to do it. But then you've got to put a plan in place. That's hard. That's hard. I'm not a planner. <laughs> I just roll with stuff. I remember in my previous church, I got to where I was coaching guys starting churches, and they would come meet with me. They'd be like, how do you do so? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. We just do it. Well, what did you do? I was like, we just do it. I don't know. I didn't realize I didn't have a plan. Here's the funny thing. We had a plan. I just didn't understand the plan. If I had a systems guy around me, he would say, here's how you do it. Planning's hard, but you know the Bible talks a lot about planning. Planning does not eliminate faith. Planning complements it. When the Bible says, I'm about to throw Proverbs, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I don't like to plan. Well, God, the Bible says when you commit yourself to the Lord, He'll establish your plan. So what's He going to establish if you don't have a plan? Proverbs 69, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, it doesn't eliminate the first part. We plan, and then God establishes the steps. <laughs> Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Part of your planning better, you better have people around you who are doing what you want to do. Yep, back that up, scrap that. You better have people around you who are ahead of where you are. If you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room, baby. 
That's been one of my weaknesses. I haven't been around people who were further along than me in specific areas that I want to do. I have a couple, but not enough. I think I've got to be the smartest person in the room. It's a very low IQ room if I'm the smartest person in it. You better have people that you trust around you. People that have your best interest in mind around you. (laughs) People that will speak truth to you even if you don't want to hear it around you. Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalms 24. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your... (laughs) You got no plan, what can he fulfill? So when was the last time you sat down and got step by step on how you're going to make your... Your dreams to have a better marriage, that's not good enough. Because I've never met anybody that just wants to say, doesn't want to, I've never met anybody that says, I want to have a bad marriage. I want to have a good marriage. What are the steps to make sure your marriage is good? I want to be financially secure. Not enough. What's the plans? Because you know what a plan does? It allows you to say yes to certain things and no to certain things. Some of you got upset with me. You've come to me before. And you've asked me something, you said, I need you to pray about something. You ask me a question, I'll be like, no. I ask you to pray about it. I don't need to pray about it. You know why I don't need to pray about it? Because I already have prayed about it, and I have a plan, and it doesn't fit well my plan. So the answer is no. The plan allows me to tell you no. It's not me being a jerk. I know the plan. Create a plan. Work the plan. And the plan will work. You might have to adjust it on the fly, but the plan will work. With no plan, you're doomed to fail. I'll be the greatest sales guy ever. Cool, what's the plan? Who's the counselor in your life? Who's ahead of you teaching you how to do what you do? Because make no mistake about it, there's a system to everything. Everything's a system. There's a system to sell a car. System to sell a roof. I was the best at it. You won't outsell me on a roof. I used to show up to sell roofs and flip-flops. This is back, I don't even know how they do it. I think they do it with drones. Now I'm old school, baby, back 15 years ago. Petrified of heights. I'm petrified. Christine, am I petrified of heights? Petrified of heights. In one year, I sold 119 roofs. And got on one of them. That was my stick. Flip flops, I don't need to get on your roof. This is my line right here. I don't need to get on your roof. You don't live in a bubble. Everybody else in your neighborhood got a new roof. Why ain't you going to get a new roof? You don't want to check it? I don't need to check it. 119 roofs got on one. Six pitch ranch. Ten feet off the ranch. I'm still scared to death. Like the cars over here climbing cell towers and stuff. Them people ain't right. That don't make sense to me. If God wanted me to be in the air, he'd have gave me wings. So what I'm saying is, it wasn't that I was good. I just knew the system. You know how I knew the system? Because I learned from a guy who was good. I watched him, and I mimicked everything he did. A couple of times, we would show up at the same job, and they'd be like, you said you're the, what so-and-so just said. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I learned from him. <laughs> so I guess if I tell you this, he's already told you. Yeah, okay. Got to have a plan. So here's the deal. We're going to pray. We're going to plan. I'm going to wrap it up right here. But that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to pray. The pray will give you the calling. The plan to give you the how to. You're going to fulfill your dreams and become visions. You got to pursue them. Some of you get so caught up in the planning that you allow it to cripple the action. Woo-hoo-hoo! I said, you're too busy. I, I know people that have been planning for four years now. What good does that do you? Got to have it all in a row. It's never going to be all in a row. We can afford kids. You ain't ever going to be able to afford them little brats. 
got to get some things in line before I do this. You're never going to get things in line. Pray. That's the supernatural. Have the calling of God on you. Plan. That's the counsel. That's the natural. That's the power of connection. Make sure it's good. And then get off of your butt and make it happen. I went to Jerusalem. Where did he say he was going to go? Where did he go? He didn't stay at the castle. He went to the king with the plan. The king approved the plan. He put it into action. And after staying there three days, I I love this part. I mean, I can't emphasize. This is probably one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate for the jackal wall and the dung gate, examined, I love this, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and the gates had been destroyed by fire. I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. Why? Because it was so destroyed. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I reentered the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because of yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials, any others who were going to do the work. We're going to stop there for a minute. It's not enough to dream. He had to get out and see the need of his dream, his own. It wasn't enough to go back and be like, my friends told me it was bad. I got to see it for myself. I had this crazy idea that I want to do, and I don't know that I'm going to do it this next year or the next year, but I recently took her, and she goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to drive up north. She said, do it. I said, I want to look at some places that I want to do this idea at. She said, what are you going to look at? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I want to find it. But I wanted to see it with my own eyes. I wanted to touch it with my own hands. I wanted to breathe in. I needed to see it to make it happen. He solidified the vision now. He's got out and he saw the condition. He's seen the way things are. And the visionary in him knows the way that things should be. <laughs> Remember, he hadn't told anybody. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. He's casting vision right here. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. This is important. Here's the deal. You need to understand something. Very rarely can you fulfill, if, you, if your dream is a true God dream, very rarely can you fulfill it on your own. People ask me, how do you get people bought into it? It's the number one thing people ask me. How do you get people? I cast vision to them. Faye, how many times have I called you and said, hey, guess what? I want you to picture this with me. It normally starts, oh, God, what now? I said, just picture it with me. I'll call Bubba. Hey, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? Uh, What if? Text my wife. I got an idea. What's the idea? Picture this with me. And I begin to paint what is and what it should be. People want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And people want to help you fulfill your dreams. But you've got to step out and pursue them. You've got to go and act like your life depends on it. I've never regretted asking anyone to join anything that I do because I believe in it so much. Some of you don't have the balls to ask people to be part of what you're doing because at the end of the day, you really don't believe in it that much. Mm -hmm. 
And then I told him about the gracious hand of my God on me. And the king said to me, let, and what the king said to me, and they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they begin the good work. You've got to pursue it. We were backstage today. I looked at Bubba and said, you know what 2024 is going to be? He said, well, I'm going to bam, 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 bam. And guess what that means for us? Bam, 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 bam. He said, I'm ready. I said, good. Because that's what it's going to be. So you want to look forward in 2024? Cool. You better pray it up. You got two weeks. January 1st to be here before you know it. You better pray quick. You better start planning. And then you better get off your tail and start pursuing. Because why would you waste one year of the short time that we have here on this earth? I don't know what it, I actually was telling someone this in the lobby today. I, I don't know what it is about my Facebook timeline right now. I, I feel like everybody on my timeline has lost somebody recently. Uncle passed away. This passed away. I was at Waffle House this morning and I asked the girl, I said, how's life? My uncle was hit by a drunk driver two nights ago and killed. I'm thinking, crap, I don't really, I don't care. I didn't really want to know. I just came here to eat my omelet, but now I got to act like I care. Why did I ask? My timeline's full of it. You're not promised tomorrow. Why would you waste anything? But what if I fail? You know the great thing about failure? Is it's not fatal. Gary Lamb. I am the chief among failing. And unfortunately in some instances, after I failed, the sun still came up the next day. Life still went on. Failure's part of it. Failure just lets you know what didn't work. How arrogant to think you're going to get it right the first time. You're going to see in Nehemiah 26 days in. 26 days in. He's got to rally everybody back around and remind them what they're there for because they've already got sidetracked. 2024 can be your best year ever. It can be. Or it can be another stupid cliche. That you're coming up with a new slogan in 25. Oh, I'm going to be alive in 25. (laughs) Knowing you ain't done nothing in 24 and you sure didn't kick any doors in. 